First Generation Burden, a series of conversations with immigrants and the children of immigrants. My name is Rich Tu and I'm your host. This is another very special episode of First Gen, and it's special for two reasons. One is that it's a collab with the illustrious 699 Per Pound podcast. Another is that it's the prelude to the official season four premiere. So stick around for the next 10 weeks for that one. It's going to drop every Monday. But before we begin, I want to thank our sponsor, Desjin. Desjin is an American modern gin with a mission to unite design with the spirit industry. Designed both inside and out, it merges the traditional and the unconventional. For today's episode, it's going to sound a lot different from what you're used to. I had the opportunity to team up with the 699 per pound crew, and that features hosts Jakey Cho and Joanne Park, who are both of Korean descent. Jakey is a partner at Alumni, the lifestyle brand based out in Queens, and he also produced the film Bad Rap, which is streaming on Netflix. And Joanne works for Great Big Story over at CNN, which is where this was recorded. We talk about how they both came from Korea at young ages from very different backgrounds. And also they interview me, so I'm more of a guest than usual in this one. And I think you learn a little bit more about me and about the origin of the podcast. So without further ado, here is 699 times first gen. Another episode of 699 per pound podcast, but this time we are collaborating with the first generation burden. So, for the listeners of first generation burden that might not know who this illustrious voice, this omnipresent individual is, it's your boy JK. Oh, you're talking about yourself, okay. Queens, of course, of course. I always talk about myself, myself only. You know what I mean? <laughs> Represent Queens, New Go York. On. You know what I mean? So if you don't know who I am now, you do. Um, for those of you who don't who don't know me, I'm JoJo. I'm the co-host of the 699 Per Pound podcast. Also work at Great Big Story, which is the room that we're recording in right now. Mm. Uh, we make really Shout fun, out to Ted yes, micro documentaries about um, surprising and unknown things. Um, super excited to talk to our guest today because we share uh, something. Uh, we used to work as, that made it sound so weird but then he's I he's our guest but we're also his guest <laughs> yeah. exactly oh yeah you're you know? right we're, it's like I, we were just talking about we're, how this is so guests. interesting I know we're all each other's guests we're in each other's, other's houses guests. right Mikasa, now Sukasa, exactly exactly um, but I used to work at MTV too I had a brief stint there so excited to hear Rich's point of view on that um, yeah so Rich right. why don't you introduce yourself and you know do your thing oh 1000% so so first of all thank you for having me here this is a beautiful space and also very professional usually I'm just doing it in my own office or my apartment so oh, nice. um, but for, for your listeners for the 699 per pound listeners my name is Rich Too, and uh, I'm the host of First Generation Burden it's a podcast about immigrants and the children of immigrants and uh, it's just a lot of great conversation with amazing creatives uh, just like Jake and Joanne so it's a pleasure to be here um, and and uh, I can plug later, I can plug now. It's just firstgenburden.com for all the episodes and, uh, you know, all, the, all that stuff. First Gen Burden, at First Gen Burden, Instagram. So, so what was the genesis of the name First Gen Burden? Well, I was living in Portland at the time, Portland, Oregon, and I, I really wanted to get a, uh, or have a, some sort of platform for conversation with people that I thought were really interesting within the immigrant space because it was 
2016 when I started the podcast and you know Trump was on oh his gosh, yeah. media rise and uh, I had just left New York to go work at Nike mm-hmm. and I was and I'm sure we all were we were just hating everything that we were hearing about you know like the fear of the other mm-hmm. and um, and immigrants coming into America and, and what Trump was proposing at the time and uh, I as I'm sure you do have a lot of friends that are you know really amazing contributors within the creative space and have a lot to offer that are also immigrants with the children of immigrants so I just wanted to get you know some really good conversations and so you know you wanted to create a platform to basically talk your shit exactly yeah. That, yeah. during that time yeah, yeah. That time yeah. Says, I think a lot of us felt like I just want to do something you know yeah. it's like I really right. want to contribute like I just can't just feel like this anymore yes. nah that's really yeah, cool. yeah I was like really yeah. dealing with my feelings mm-hmm. right definitely mm-hmm. they say that is a record number of uh, young people that is going to vote for the next election it's going to be oh, yeah. more uh, women and people of color running for president for the first time you know so oh, yeah. I feel like if anything Cory Booker yeah. let's see what's up <laughs> Lord, Lord. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Well, I mean, he's the New Jersey guy so yeah. I'm from the uh, NJ originally Word. Um, yeah, so I feel like every all of these moves that we've been making, that you have made, has maybe probably created a small dent in um, basically uh, uh, basically in culminated into yeah. the uh, mm-hmm. conversations that we're having right now. Right. Yeah. So on that note, I mean, um, should we get right into it? Like, uh, what, what are we talking about today, JoJo? Yeah, I mean, we're obviously doing this cool collaboration. Um, just to give you a little background on our podcast too, um, we call it six ninety nine per pound for the listeners of First Gen Burden because it's an homage to sort of the New York City deli culture. Um, right now, a lot of the delis in New York are run by Korean Americans. This is something I learned from JK. Well, I wouldn't say like delis necessarily, yeah. but more so like because the bodegas, you know, bodegas. the Habibis got that on lock. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. You know, uh, but like the, I'm talking more so like hot food delis, yeah. like delis that actually have like a little salad bar. They call it. Mm-hmm. It's like a buffet situation, <laughs> and then you get like a plate, and then you know it's, it's like, like all the world's cuisine, yeah, like yeah, Indian like food a, next yeah, to spaghetti, like next to usually not too top quality, but you know it's <laughs> like if you if you're just trying to have a buffet option for lunch, you know, right. you get like a pound, and it's usually five ninety nine, six ninety nine. If you're around MTV, it's right. usually seven ninety nine. Times Square was up. Up you want and you walk yeah, in yeah. with a specific desire yeah. then you gotta unlock <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Just, just don't put too much rice cause that shit adds the weight you know what I'm saying so you <laughs> end up paying more for rice you yeah. know what I mean but yeah. yeah so that was pretty much the genesis of it because the, the idea was what like we're covering a diverse array of yeah. topics and people in mm-hmm. different professions yeah. kinda like a Korean American operated hot food deli in New York right. City. Yeah. Coincidentally, the co-hosts are also of Korean American descent. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So therefore, the name six ninety nine per pound podcast. How'd yeah. you how'd you two create the podcast, or how'd you two like physically come together? And it's like, hey, you and me are doing this thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was like a uh, it was, was like that organic. A, it was, nah, it was kind of like a heavenly heavenly calling. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you know, one day I woke uh, up and God was just talking to me. It's like, yo, you gotta go some real Saint Paul. Yeah, go to gotta, JoJo. You, you gotta save uh-huh. this young lamb. Uh-huh. It's just like out of the, the wilderness. Lamb. You know Am what I mean? Lamb? You know, nah, nah. This, no, so no, what no. happened was our our, um, our co-producer uh, Julie Young. She's like. She's a retired lawyer. There's a bunch of things, right? Like, she's kind of like in the nonprofit circuit, yeah, yeah, like yeah. very dedicated to like the causes that she's we're like talking the about. She's like the quintessential cool Brooklyn mom. Yeah, you know what I mean. Has Copy. an apartment in Dumbo. 
You know what I mean? Like <laughs> interracial, family, interracial yeah. children, sure. mad, mad broke. Right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, uh, I, I hit her like, y'all want to do this podcast situation? Because I, you know, I produced like projects before, and mm-hmm. I just wanted to like talk. You know what I mean? Right. And she was like, hey, you know, I think you should do something with JoJo because your energy is vastly different mine obviously dark. superior you know um, so, it's dark and yeah. I'm the light this so, is the running so show. you know that's pretty much how this whole situation came together you know it's yeah. like a Voltron you know what I mean like yeah. I'm, I'm obviously genius and of the Wu-Tang Clan or the RZA <laughs> the heart the chest <laughs> came through put everybody together we're gonna cut this part out mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah man um, so yeah, on the, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. No, and talk it, your piece I mean I mean that pretty much sounds like it um, aside from all the accoutrements that you've added for yourself mm, but you know it really was like finding that personality balance um, interviewing people like you um, and co- reaching out to different communities and I think what our podcast really likes to focus on is like intersectionality yes. it's just yeah. um, you know Asian Americans um, most of our listeners are Asian Americans but we want our guests to enlighten them of issues that affect other communities and ultimately affect them you know so we had a professor who uh, specializes in Afro-Caribbean studies and um, gentrification and redlining. We've had, um, you know, uh, filmmaker Justin Chan, who told um, the L.A. riot story from the Korean-American perspective, which mm. has never been done before. Um, and now we have Rich, too. <laughs> oh, cool. Oh, wow. Can't yeah. wait to hear what that guy has to yeah, say. Exactly. Oh, shit, wait. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you the first? I think, is, is Rich the first Filipino guest that we have? I think so. Get out of here. I no know. way. We need a more 18 yeah. episodes, dude. Ryan. No, Who's Ryan Charles. Ryan Chow? Chow? No, no, Ryan... Um... Oh, yeah, Ryan Biazan. Yeah. He's Filipino, oh, yeah, yeah. yes. Oh, damn, Ryan. I thought I was going to start the street. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Ryan Biazan, you know, shout out to Bayside. Yes, <laughs> now street market. That's so fun. Yo, it's so funny, like, just for a listener, I, there was, I was at Canal Street Market today, and I thought I was going to record there, and oh, I was yeah. like, I was like walking, and I was like, yo, I'm going to get some calamansi juice, yes. I'm going to start this whole thing, just like drinking from my bag, and I was like, oh, wait, hold on, like, Filipino time got me already, yeah. <laughs> just by, by nature of my energy. This episode really, I mean, it's a collab, but we're inspired by the concept of first generation burden likewise thank you so because JK and I we interview people and we never really talked about our personal experiences too much about how that frames our career we're all in like creative industries Mm. so um, maybe we can kick it off of just like what kind of questions you know are you super interested in and that you ask all of your guests and maybe we can hash it out together oh yeah sure like well when when I'm interviewing a guest like I tend to we we always start off uh, where our guests came from yeah. and where their parents came from, um, just to kind of you know lay the groundwork, and then we just kind of trace their their beginnings within uh, the creative space. So um, I know we've we've heard a little bit about uh, your beginnings, but I know you're both Korean, yeah. And I know that you came from L.A. or yes. you were sold to L.A. Mm-hmm. and Jakey, you were sold to New York. Yeah, uh, so actually or sold to China. Sold to China. Gotcha. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then, and then, you know, and then uh, the under the seven train, <laughs> somewhere, somewhere under the seven the train. Mm-hmm. What, what was the China uh, era like? What What were the ages for that? Uh, I was first grade to third grade. First grade, yeah, to first third grade. grade to third grade. So pretty much like as soon as I got out of uh, preschool. Like, I went to China, and, and, you know, I didn't go to, like, an international school. I went to, like, a Chinese, Chinese school. Mm-hmm. Wow. I was the 
only foreigner in the school. Mm-hmm. What, of what course, part of China? Uh, it was in a city called Nanjing. A gotcha. lot of people know it for the Nanking Massacre. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it's historically, it's a very affluent city. Um, it's a few hours away from Shanghai. It's one of the biggest cities in China. Uh, but, yeah, like, I was over there because my pops had some business over there. And, uh, yeah, like, I... I I because rem- I remember like vividly going to school for the first day. The teacher introduced me, but I didn't speak a lick of Chinese. Like mm-hmm. I didn't speak a single word of Chinese. And then the teacher introduced me as like, "Yo, this kid is from Korea. It's like another country." And um, every kid, it is like, and then remind mind you, like China has mad people. And this was elementary school. Each class has sixty kids. Mm. <laughs> 60 kids, you know wow. what I'm saying? Like, yo, to put that in perspective, in New York City public schools, you have about 25 to 30 kids per class, and that's considered a lot. Wow. You know, and 60 kids, just all eyes on me, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Was there a British POV of that school, too? British POV, what do you mean? Like a British, like, uh, approach to, oh, actually, you know what? No, no I, that's actually, Hong Kong. Yeah, 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 yeah no, I'm Kong. speaking. Yeah, 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 no, I'm like, yeah, this is like straight up, gotcha. like, oh, okay. communist China, like, <laughs> after, like, the first grade, you get, like, a red ribbon around your neck. Wow. You wow. Hail, hail allegiance to the, a portrait of Mao Zedong. Mm, wow. Like, China, Mao. China, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Yeah, so, yeah. Like, yeah, like, so I was over there, and then I think from that point on, I was just comfortable with the attention, because I was, like, always, you know, th- throughout my entire elementary school time, I was... One, I was a foreigner who did, who you know, I had to use my animal instinct because I didn't speak a word of Chinese, so I had to get adjust, adjusted ASAP. Yeah. And I was the center of attention because I was like the only foreigner in school. Mm-hmm. So I think all of that kind of had an influence on who I am today. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah, man, that's pretty much me, you know, like my young time in China. How'd you get under the seven train? <laughs> uh, you know, like, um, so after, after, like, I think in Korea at the time, we were thinking about moving back to Korea mm-hmm. in 98. And then um, IMF happened. What Koreans like to call it IMF, but it actually really stands for International Monetary Fund. It means that the com- com- country is so broke that you need foreign aid. Mm-hmm. You know, and that happened in Korea and the economy was a shit show. So my parents were like, yo, my mom's uncle um, at the time, had a fish market in the Bronx huh. in New York. So, like, I was like, yo, we going to New York. So, we came thinking that, you know, her, my mom's uncle was going to take care of us. Three days in, my man's like, yo, I got to dip to Georgia because <gasps> my man owed mad money to the loan sharks. Oh, my wow. gosh. So, he dipped in the middle of the night. And it was like, my family didn't know anybody in New York. Like, yeah. it was like, my pops was stressing, my mom's was stressing. Somehow, some way, we found, like, a little apartment few blocks down from where my uh, mom's uncle was and then we just been living over there and then that's kind of that, that was Elmhurst borderline Jackson Heights Woodside that area so that's pretty much how my uh, New York City journey began you know wow yeah, yeah. that's so cool yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I didn't even know that yeah now you do now you do <laughs> now I do mm-hmm. so, tell me about LA yeah, so I... She really L.A. Okay. I am L.A. <laughs> like County. I mean, but I went to USC. You're not LA County. I went to USC. I know all the good taco places. That's a, a true... All right, whatever. <laughs> um, but I moved to um, the Burbs, like kind of the Glendale area in Southern California when I was seven or eight. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think a lot of immigrant kids go through the first day of school of... 
um, you know, kind of being called out. And I didn't know English either. Yes. And um, I did have attention. I think it inversely affected me in that I was so uncomfortable that I always wanted to be like invisible and like unnoticed. What year did you come here? When I was in first grade. Got it. Yeah. I just. Oh, both first graders moved. Yeah. Left Seoul. Wow, yeah. That's right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, huh. yeah. No, true, true. Yeah. I came to America when I was the fourth grade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was in China for three years. Yeah. And it was interesting because the, my parents, they were very comfortable in Korea. Um, my dad was like an engineer. and huh. But he wanted to move to um, America just to like give us a better education. And I was kind of bullied in school a lot in Korea, like in when I was in kindergarten. And uh, my mom and my dad was like, I think she's too like she can't adjust to like the kids here. I think mm. there's this sense that Korean kids, like younger kids are a little bit more, especially in the cities, um, they're a little bit more not like kids, like not as like pure. <laughs> Do you kind of get that? Like, I think it depends on the neighborhood. Yeah, because I- Within Korea. Within yeah, Korea. Yeah, within Seoul, dependent on the hood. Like, yeah. It's, oh, like, wow. yeah. it's like in New York, like yeah, if you live in like, you know, up, if you live in like Upper West Side compared to a kid in Brownsville, it's yeah. gonna yeah. be different. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Like, I guess I was just a little bit levels. more yeah. gullible. Like, because right. my, we were originally from Gwangju, which is like right. the southernmost part, and it's like a little bit of like country. And yeah. then we moved to Seoul for my dad's job. And I was kind of, you know. You were more naive compared um, to the yeah, city kids. Yes. Right. It's very naive, and I didn't get along with them. And I had, you know, I would like come home and. Um, would be like crying and like um, you know kind of be beat up a little and like my mom was just like I can't like she can't survive like her personality's too like um, sensitive so she was like I think America would be better because I don't know why she thought that wow so they moved to America yeah she cries too much. Because <laughs> you were crying was in school. Like, yeah, I was crying in school. I know, I know. I still, I cried last recording and yeah, Chicky's yeah. like, what did I do? Um, but yeah, so we moved there and then um, kind of, I went to like four different elementary schools and kept moving around. Um, I didn't speak at all like the first two years I was there. Um, wow. So my teacher... Like yeah. But now my people joke like you're making up for lost time because like you won't stop talking now. Mm. <laughs> That's so funny. But she, I remember my third grade teacher kind of made this made up award for me because when you receive an award, you have to speak in front of the class. I'm just like, thank you for this award. My name is blank, like in front of like everybody. So I remember just like memorizing those two lines like all night, like the day before, and I like completely fumbled the next day. But then since then, like my friends or the kids at school were like, I didn't know you could talk. And they started talking to me. (laughs) I know. They they literally thought I was mute. Literally. Because there were no Koreans at my school. It was a lot of Armenian kids. Mm, There was only one other Korean girl. Mm. And I don't know if a lot of your guests or you've you've experienced it or anything, but there was one girl who spoke Korean. So she kind of was responsible for me. Sure. And I could tell she was annoyed by me. You know, she wanted to play with her friends. Yeah. They right. wanted to play with their friends and you know, but I'm just like this girl who's like tagging along who she has to translate right. everything for. And you're near Fabi. Yeah. Just coming in. Exactly. Super fresh. And and it was crazy because when I was getting older, I remember becoming that person for another 
you know, yeah. a fond person. I just yeah, remember, yeah. and whenever I would get annoyed, I remember those times when I like felt so like rejected. Mm-hmm. I was just like, you know what? No, like I need to be there for this person because like I'm literally the only person that's connecting them to the rest of these people. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, I feel you. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of like the origin story of me. Right. right but then right. I came to New York for MTV. Mm-hmm. I got that was my first gig here and. Um, I was like, I'm gonna be here for a year, and then five years later, I'm still in New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, mm-hmm. no, she could. But what about you, man? I mean, um, yes. you're a Filipino descent. Oh yeah, you grew up in Jersey, in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's pretty much where all East Coast Filipinos live, except really? for except for a, a, a few sectors that still remain <laughs> in Woodside. Yes, you know, shout out to the Jollibee in Woodside. Hey, yep. I remember growing up, uh, I, at least in high school, like I'd always hang on Jersey City because that's like the second biggest population to. Filipinos outside Daly City. Yeah, man. Right? And Which, then we would like always the com- be competitive with Queens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we'd hang out like, and this is, uh, and I'm coming up on, I'm 38 years old, so. <gasps> what? Uh, yeah, so I'm. Damn, it was all that hollow oh hollow making you look young, bro. Oh, oh yeah, well, so nice. I, I mix my hollow hollow with a uh, placenta every morning, <laughs> oh so God. I'm just rubbing it all over my face, so I'm just like, I'm taking those stem cells oh and God. just like, yes. you know, I'm engaging oh my first gosh. thing in the morning. It's moisturizing Take notes, with you it. guys. It's righteous, man. Yeah. Yo, you look like you're like right around like I'm I turned 30 recently oh really yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, wow yeah you both look super young to me Ding. yeah you guys look, no, you like, look young bro like, no, you, you look, look nowhere near 38 bro <sighs> Oh my gosh. You know what? I wasn't fishing right beanie. now. Yeah. But it's the beanie. Yeah. No, but okay, <laughs> this is so sidebar, but like, yes. is it hard at work because people think you're so young? Because you're oh. like a VP. It was, it was a liability for a minute, I think, looking young um, and especially in the beginning when you don't really have much of a portfolio or a track record uh-huh. and uh, you know you show up and and I'm you know wanting wanting to be open and receptive to experiences and like want to be knowledgeable about my craft and what I do but then uh, you know there's you can feel a, an inherent lack of trust but then uh-huh. over time by by doing a lot of work that's either high profile or there's some level of visibility to yeah. it they just associate it associate those projects with me so then now I can come in and then there's a brand that I've created for myself and uh, people are just like oh yeah that's just rich too mm. um, and then now I'm trying to just Benjamin Button my whole situation <laughs> so that uh, I you know I can just maintain the plateau until I just you know Asian old guy cliff off <laughs> and then I just look like Yoda no, so. no. And, and you know you work at MTV which is like the youth brand right, right? sorry I'm like jumping around <laughs> Around, but I'm really curious to be yes. like, what did your parents know what MTV was? Oh well, my parents came here in the '60s. Oh, okay. So they so, came here. They okay. came here in the, from the Philippines in like 1969. They didn't know each other in the Philippines, oh. and uh, they were both 20. Like they, love story. I know. Well, yeah. So <laughs> both of their parents had died, um, and that's why they came back to the states because oh they had to send money back mm-hmm. home. And my mm-hmm. dad was the youngest of nine kids. My mom was the oldest of ten kids. Wow. And uh, they came here. My mom was a doctor, so she, you know she was like on the come up, and then she helped facilitate bringing over her entire family, wow. um, like through like the house that she had bought for them. So it was like kind of like the her last name's Texon, so like the Texon house. And then um, damn, that shit sounds incredible. like a, that just sounds like an oil tycoon. Yeah, like Texon. Yo, that sounds like a rapper's name. Yo, yo. Texon. Yeah. yeah, my name is Texon. You know. Like, that, <laughs> That shit sounds. That shit sounds like oh some. You can't click like totally. like some 
90s Brooklyn, you know what I'm saying? That shit sounds fucking righteous. Dude. Yeah, oh no, that's what's up. Like T-E-C-S-O-N, uh, T-E-C-S-O-N, and then there's a, there's a few Texans I know floating around the world. Um, is Texan? Texan, yeah. Yo, like, yo, I got the Texan. I got the Texan. Wow. Yeah. Oh my God, Jake, oh, he's going to steal that name. It's a bar. <laughs> and, then, and then my dad, uh, he was an architect, and, mm. he, and he came over here, and he's that's kind of where I got like that creative, creative. bit of me um, and then uh, he was just kind of like you know kind of out here living wild and uh, had a couple of relationships I got a you know a few siblings out in the world mm-hmm. and uh, him and my mom met um, in the late 70s and then I was born in 1981 mm-hmm. grew up in New Jersey um, in South Orange um, went to school in East Orange it was a predominantly uh, black neighborhood so I grew up in a su- suburb which is predominantly Jewish and uh, Christian at the time Catholic and then I would go to school every day in like in like a in an urban area so I didn't even have um, white friends or Asian friends really until I was about uh, 14 years old wow. uh, until I went to high school mm-hmm. I remember being the only Asian kid in uh, in St. Joseph's uh, school okay. it was all Catholic and then me and my sister oh yeah she was the other Asian kid she's two years older than me mm-hmm. it was uh, yeah I had one white classmate her name was Laura in second grade and also Nicole who was mixed race mm-hmm. um, then Laura left after one year and then Nicole joined us in sixth grade and then she stuck around but yeah, yeah it was uh, I remember looking at all of our class photos I I, I saw it like recently they'll never miss house. you <laughs> I know I know totally that's me <laughs> yeah it's like oh look at that guy Mm-hmm. So that was kind of my, my POV for a long time. Just like grew up in New Jersey, listen to hip hop. And I was mm-hmm. a B-boy for a while. You're a B-boy? Yeah. Nah, that's like every Filipino in Jersey, yeah, bro. Exactly. Oh, it is? They're all it B-boys, is. DJs, producers, graffiti oh, writers. They're the cool it's true. Asians. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, like I wanted to be Filipino when I was a kid. Oh, did you really? I seriously wanted to be. I was like, like damn. Boy, can I, See, I wanted to be a Korean why, racer. Why, why, can't Koreans, <laughs> why can't Koreans be as cool as Filipinos? Because, you, know? you know, Korean dudes from the East Coast, they all had like the spiked up hair with the white beaters and oh, yeah. them boots and they just wanted to fight stab each other you know oh like God. drink and well Filipinos were like they were kind of like they were just cool man like yeah. all the girls knew no, how to I move I remember like right. all the YouTubers like, right. so dope like yeah. they were just like they were into hip hop. You go to Fat Beats in the city, you always see like two Filipino kids in there. You never see a Korean in there. Oh, right. So I was like, damn, I want to be down with the us? Filipino, you know? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think I think a lot of what that has to do is our connection to uh, uh, Latin culture. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the connection to Latin culture and I yep. think the way that that connects into the origins of hip hop and yep. like that mm-hmm. whole community. And uh, also, we, our, our Filipinos emigrated to the States earlier. So there there's was, like, couple waves though right because right, obviously waves, there's like sure. you know there's like that aristocrat class that had to move to the u.s when yes. the uh, dictator got ousted oh yep right yep. and, and i got the, relatives like that i had an uncle that lived in my right. house for a minute right that was like oh i can't go back home right we, right, we don't right, talk right, about right. it and then there's like like you said like the the working like the nurses that basically right. sends money back home exactly so there's like different waves so like would you consider your family was kind of like an earlier wave because you said they came in the 60s yeah I would say my mom I think they're definitely an earlier wave I think my mom her her family had means like there's a there's a compound in the Philippines I'm not gonna lie mm. right um, I can go back and be like oh cool there's 
that uncle owns mm-hmm. an island <laughs> or whatever. Right. Yeah, it's like they're okay. <laughs> I know. My dad is a little bit more working class because mm-hmm. his dad uh, was, uh, he worked in a funeral home. He was like building caskets all day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, then they just kind of, he has that mentality. My mom, you know, has her vibe. So, um, uh, we're, I just, you know, grew up, I was very fortunate to grow up like different converging energies. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. Yeah. Right. So, when it came to naming your podcast like you call it The Burden yes what does that, what does that mean? mean to you it well it was originally an Aziz Ansari reference yeah. from Master of None and I was having a conversation the family episode I think yes yes, yes exactly and shout out to my girl uh, Nastasia back in Portland because we were talking about it she's from Russia her family's from Russia mm. and we were all, we were talking about it and she kind of you know gave me the genesis of the name so um, I just thought it was a great thing and also I talk about being first generation a lot and I think the the burden aspect especially in 2016 like in that whole like Trump like mm-hmm. toxicity zone it was like you know it, it was really it felt like a burden and I think it was interesting to address it that way um, it was a bit of a heavy name but you know it was just it was just a conduit for for real conversation yeah so um you know the, it's, it's really about the otherness and like the burden of being the other mm-hmm. and then how do you overcome that because you know sitting I, I sit in some meetings currently in my life where i'll look around i'm thinking there's no one here that looks like me mm-hmm. there, and you know there's no one here that looks that there's no one here that's a poc mm-hmm. so um i it it's always it's dawned on me recently that that responsibility is, you know, something that we need to share. Yeah. You know, and not just among Asians. I think it's really among, like, a lot of, um, among POCs and also people that represent something that isn't of another. Yeah. You know? Mm, yeah. I like the way you broke that down, man. No, yeah. For sure. What's up? Just, just by, you know, being different or looking different, you have the burden to represent Right. <laughs> everyone who looks like you just by the virtue of you being alone you never asked for that yeah. but, and ha- taking the responsibility is often um, a choice that is only confronted with people like us right, right. it um, is and it was interesting I think the name is so great because it means different things to different immigrants like yeah. what I first interpreted burden as in like oh like I thought it was more about burden to your family mm. like in terms of you have the burden to succeed and to transcend and it's that too there's a guilt yeah, element to it too for sure um, so it's like such a word that's like jam-packed with like a lot of the themes of right. just being an immigrant so uh, let me ask you yeah. do you too feel that that uh, responsibility to do right by your parents because your parents brought you into this place or put you in a position to succeed by virtue of course um, yeah. yeah like a thousand percent yeah mm-hmm. does that does that affect or do you take action based on that or is that just something that's like in your DNA I think it's a little bit of both um cause like my pops came here in 98 and he bought a house in 5 years you know what I'm saying wow and like and motherfucker still doesn't he still doesn't speak English man like you know what I'm saying like wow. you know like I still gotta translate everything for him and seeing that you know as cause they say that oh you know Bernie Sanders says that a lot during his campaign it's like we're gonna be the first generation that's not gonna be that, that we're not gonna do as well as our parents we're even worse than our parents right but like I think the mentality as an immigrant kid is that yo if your parents were able to do that if you can't even match that, mm-hmm. yeah. you're kind of a failure. Maybe you wasn't working hard enough, even though the societal restrictions might prevent us from doing that. But like, 
if like I, I feel like it's part of our DNA and core is like we need to at least match that we're even better that yeah. you know what I mean because essentially the, the concept is just basically you gotta always one step ahead the generation before yeah. so the generation after could be a little bit more comforted mm-hmm. right. you know what I mean that they have an easier way of doing things Right. Yeah. so I think as a result like that's I wouldn't say necessarily it's a burden because right. you know that kind of has a little bit of a negative connotation to it but I feel like it's a responsibility yes you yeah. Know yeah. I mean? yeah and for me that question's so interesting because I was thinking about this the other day of how like I well I'm a Libra so that has to do with it too but I, I care a lot about harmony and you know what other people want and how we can all you know get it together um but it comes from the fact that like i just wanted to make my parents proud and make it feel like all the pain and all the things that they went through was worth it yeah and um you know when people ask me like what do you want to do it's like i just think of my parents first you know and it's so hard for me now just to ask myself like what does joanne want to do because it's I can never think for myself anymore just because now it has kind of become ingrained in my DNA of just like, okay, what do I want to do? But that also, I, I want my parents to be part of that equation. Right. Um, but I think it, it's kind of like a pro and con because in American society and just, you know, media, it's so much about like kind of being selfish and like you know you got to like take what you can get you have to speak for yourself and you have to go for what you want but for me I'm like I don't really know what I want sometimes because what are my how is that going to benefit like our whole family and that's something that I struggle with um because some of my friends they're in two camps some of my friends are just like you should give back to your family you know you have to kind of like your mom like your mom is just like so giving in oh, terms yeah. of like bringing like her whole like taking that responsibility very and now she's seriously she's like the matriarch of yeah. that side of the family seriously. too seriously yeah. yeah there's that she's a, camp she's a Tita baby Tita baby yeah. oh my gosh um, I just went to a restaurant named Tita baby it was so good it was so yummy it was in Brooklyn right it's a Filipino restaurant yeah it was so good I'll, okay. I'll send it to you she's about to go and check it out I know I might have to sponsor us Tita Baby just make sure it's authentic (laughs) so you know there's that camp who like really lean into that Um, and then there's also another camp of just kind of like no like we have to um, you know we live in America like we're gonna in future generations and all that things like you need to think for yourself this is your life you know right. like they you know did their life and it was so you can make that choice or whatever oh okay I, Oh, so we're touching on something so interesting yeah. right now because I struggle with this all the time mm-hmm. of the the wanting to do right by my parents and yeah. wanting to do right by the vision that they created for what my future and also my my sister and my brother yeah. could be. Yeah. But then now it's the how to decouple yeah. yourself into what the new vision that includes this this American context mm-hmm. is yes because being here it um you know there's there's the idea of the self and the individual self mm-hmm. and how do you live up to your full potential mm-hmm. and then um it's not the the concept of you know filial piety of yes. of um respect towards the elder mm-hmm. also can, in 
in some way can be interpreted as a handcuff yeah. on a generational handcuff. Yeah. So then how do you have more of a, a generous two-way flow and not have it be, you know, constantly... At odds with yeah, each yeah, other. Yeah, exactly. How do you have more harmony there? Because I'm like, I want to do my thing. Mm-hmm. I want to be a success. Yeah. I don't necessarily want to have children right now the second. Mm-hmm. You, oh, you, know, yeah. you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? I don't want to... Mm-hmm contribute to the gene pool just yet yeah yeah um but and i want to respect what they've done mm-hmm. but that said uh i still got to do my thing yeah I don't know how you two but, feel about I, it. but i mean wouldn't you say that as long as you are doing what you love and self-sustaining yes. isn't that like the best way of giving back to your parents because oh, you're yeah. not looking for a handout oh yeah because it's like but if your parents because if you are self-sustaining and you could take care of yourself and you're in in a if you're in a status or in a place where you could also take care of other people, right, including your folks, that's like the biggest way of giving back to them. So, oh, yeah, as long sure. as you're great at what you do for yourself and take care of yourself first, then the conversation of you taking care of other people, including your folks, your family, or yeah. whoever right. it might be, I feel like that's you know I, I feel like when people say like yeah nah like just worry about yourself, I feel like that's a little selfish, mm-hmm. but. It's like, yeah, you worry about yourself so you could yes. look out for other people. Absolutely. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. that's kind of like the ultimate form of like, yeah, because, you know, looking out for mm-hmm. your parents. Yeah. Because right. there is that case by case basis. And like, I know, Jakey, you've talked about some of your friends who are like, their parents are not well off at all. And sure. they are you know responsible to give them like an allowance and like help them live and like that's obviously a case where and I have friends like that too absolutely and when that builds up and like the the child kind of becomes a parent and they are expected to provide and they and they don't take care of themselves you see the resentment like the burden becomes that negative of just like why yes. do I have to do this? Like, why can't I be like everyone else? Right. Like, why can't I be like a trust fund baby and just like right. do what I want to do? Like, why do I have to do this? Mm. And that's something that I know a lot of my friends like struggle with, but it really comes from them not taking care of themselves first because mm. right. they're always looking at things like half empty. I could also be thinking of it from a, from a, from a reference of a, my parents asking me to come home for Christmas all the goddamn time. Right? <laughs> <laughs> One know? time a year, man. Yeah, yeah. I know. Are they still in Jersey? They're still in Jersey. Oh. oh. Yeah. Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we're with you on this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. Sorry, bro. Uh, like an I'm hour and a half, but still. Oh, that's uh, okay. I'm, I'm, just, I'm joking, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, but, sure. um, no, no, it's, no, I hear you. That, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's, it's tough with that one. Yeah. And one of the things that we talk about, too, how like they're not getting any younger, like our parents. Right, I know, so it's yeah. like the few years they have left in this earth, like, shouldn't we? you know, prioritize them kind Absolutely, of thing. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, t- I totally see from, you know, for them being like, I want grandbabies. I want like little, you know, r- riches or something <laughs> um, before we pass or something they like that. They do say like, they do say that um, uh, grandparents tend to love uh, like I mean, parents love mm-hmm. tend to love their grandparent grandkids more so than their own children. Oh, really? Like, because they kind of. Cause it's like mm, you are a like a prototype, chance. you know. What yeah. I mean? like, <laughs> use a prototype, yeah, yeah. and I'm gonna put all my trust. Now I know how to develop the perfect version mm-hmm. of my replica. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So, I mean, that's it, so it, funny. It was a theory that I heard, and then um, I, you know, and I kind of see it in my pop's eyes. Like he's just like. Yo, man, if you just fucking bring a baby right now, I'll take <laughs> care of his tuition, really? all of that. Do you have any siblings? 
Uh, I have a younger brother, yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. He actually lives out in Jersey City right now. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I think he's one of the gentrifiers, low-key. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where, where's he living he's in Jersey City? Um, he's, I think, no, I think he's... What's a, his address? He's on a cliff. He's not like downtown Jersey City. You oh, know? okay. Like, yeah, his tech money isn't that strong, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Gotcha. So, yeah. He's gotcha, on a gotcha. cliff, still with the immigrants, you know what I mean? Nice. Yeah, but... But um yeah like I think um we kind of skipped this part about talking about ourselves first we we just oh yeah talk so much like details about our parents because oh jo- yeah Joe Joe's yeah. about to cry again I know sorry you know she's talk- <laughs> it's just, um but it's a sad I mean podcast. we we talked about our uh, early immigrant life and um about our earlier upbringing yep. you talked about growing up in jersey uh tell us a little bit about like your early you say you 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 were a b boy so you right. went to culture oh, yeah um. Shout out to EDK crew. Ooh, okay. Rocco Finesse. Ooh, See, he's back in the day. He's about to start throwing like oh, yeah. guns and shots. We're going to start yeah, exactly. embedding the YouTube yeah. videos. Yeah. Um, <laughs> early interests and skills, man. Like, what, what were some of the stuff that you were into that kind of led to your current career? Oh, sure. Well, I wanted to always be creative in some way, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think what I, what I loved about hip hop culture and like the musicality of that was really creative flow. I'm realizing it now. Creative flow mm. and having the ability to put your skills on display for people. Yeah. Um, and also the, uh, the like the attachment to the the self cause, and, and physical culture too even because I, 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 I tie even my my creative like I can be at a computer just doing a thing but it I I feel like it's um, like being an athlete and just mentally being into it so that from a process level that's I've always maintained that Um, and then from a from uh, what I do, I started out as an editorial illustrator. Uh, I always wanted to draw. I was I was always a big fan of comics, and I and my dad collected uh, baseball cards. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so we would always be at a hobby shop for hours on a weekend. He'd be collecting comic uh, uh, basketball cards, baseball cards. He had a safe of that shit. Oh wow! And he had long boxes, cardboard boxes, all over the house, like. Hoarder style. He could mm. wallpaper the house with the shit. And then I was always reading comics. So he gave me that gift of just feeling that, you know, and that love. Um, and then I just took it to, you know, wanting to be a illustrator. So I went to Rutgers uh, for communication and psychology. Kind of, you know, I, I, I felt wow. like I cheated myself uh-huh. out of a, a real artistic experience there. Uh-huh. And then I just went to night school at SVA for three years. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I was a substitute teaching or working at the mall, Willowbrook Mall in Jersey, selling XM satellite radio back in like 2001, <laughs> 2002. Wow. Yeah. I would buy that from yeah. you. Yeah, mm-hmm. nice. So I, ne- I never for stopped going to school. cars. <laughs> exactly. But like into like the, the Jack, mm-hmm. like Jack style when that was like brand new, right? Mm. Um, right into like a Kenwood speaker. So, mm. so, uh, I took my illustration portfolio uh, that I put together at SVA, going to night school, basically, continuing education, and then I, I got published at the New York Times um, just by, you know, hustle, being, on, being on the ground, mm-hmm. and and uh, got a couple pieces there. Got published in Swindle Magazine, too, which was uh, Shepard Fairey's magazine. Oh, wow. Yeah, I like, remember that. Yep, yeah. and it was issue eight. I remember it was like a, a story about ATSAC in LA, the automated traffic um, control center that they got there. It had a Banksy cover that issue, so it became a little bit of a collector's item. Mm. Yeah. Then I got 
Friday. Light flex, light flex. Yeah, light flex, light exactly. Flex. Uh, actually, not that light. It's Banksy. Those are fucking Banksy yeah, covers, yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our yeah. yeah. flex, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, flex for uh, Shepard Ferry, really. Um, and then... AKA, that's also the uh, founder of Obey, for right. those that don't mm-hmm. know. Exactly. Uh, yes, very true. And then I got into I got into a very competitive uh, master's program for illustration. Um and then I graduated in 2009, um, still in my uh, late 20s. And then I ended up kind of, you know, hit the ground running. And I landed into um, advertising agency culture as an art director because I had like a, a, a skill set that could speak to all of that. Right, yeah. right, right. And, and then it was, you know, it was still illustration, doing editorial stuff for New York Times, The New Yorker, Bloomberg. Um, Bloomberg Business Week, uh, oh, Fast nice. Company. Um, I did a lot of editorial for Slam Magazine for years, a lot of basketball mm. shit for like seven years. Shout out to Melissa Medvedich when she was still there. I did a lot of stuff for Double uh, XL, did a cover for them for their freshman oh, class 2015. Nice. Cool. And, uh, and at the same time, being really interested in... A lot of checks in... from Harris Publications. Oh, see. yo! Hey. Harris Publications! Yeah. Damn, I used to I work at Double XL. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, I knew yeah, that yeah. about you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, what was your era? Uh, I was there from... I was I was in and out, man. I was there from like 2011 to like 2013 or 14. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Did yeah. you know Melissa? Melissa. Uh, Melissa Medvedich. She's like... She was a creative director there. She was like... But you know Vanessa. She's in a... She's like mixed race. Uh, yes, yes, she is mixed race. Yeah, yes, mixed race. Yeah, yeah, her cubicle was like right next to mine. God, she kind of has so like a, a little bit of a high pitched voice. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Shout out to Melissa. Yeah, shout out to <laughs> Melissa. Um, yeah, and the the double X or oh, the uh, the slam office is like right there too. With like we didn't really have a separate office. It was all just a scattered. It's all the same shit trip. show. It was like a it's like a fucking dungeon, man. We had no sunlight in there. <laughs> oh I got depressed. Oh uh, wow, gets you focused. I mean, I don't think I was like diagnosed to you know anything, but sure. like, I was like, yo, my section literally had a ventilation going on the top the whole time and this was like the only light that i had oh, wow no. like so you i see the sun darkness, yeah. when i go to work and then i see a little bit of sun when i go for lunch and during like um 100 days that's like in editorial terms is like that's the closing day like you gotta mm-hmm. finish the shit mm-hmm. during 100 week like we couldn't go out for lunch mm. like yeah. so during that time like only saw sunlight like once a day oh, wow yeah and then it was yeah anyways Anyways, shout Sad. out to Harris mm-hmm. Publication, which yeah. no longer exists, actually. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, so illustrious so, yeah. So you career, have, like, no a pun intended. Very active career. Oh yeah, yeah. I've um, been an illustrator. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and then now you know, kind of ex- expanded that into like you know a lot of branding, um, a lot of uh, a lot of product work. I got to work at Nike. Mm-hmm. Um, they they kind of you know recruited me to come out there just based on a lot of the youth culture work that I'd done. How long were you over at uh, Beaverton? Uh, A little under two years Mm -hmm. and I left in 2017. Just Mm -hmm. the right amount before you (laughs) go crazy in Portland. Yo, it rains constantly. Oh Mm. my gosh. Um, But but legal weed so I would just wake and bake all the time mm. like me oh shout out to Andrew Parkman by the way uh, color designer um, he he is dope and he was my brother out there we would just go you know we would we would be designing sneakers we'd go to his house right across the street and then smoke a little bit and then just like design more sneakers mm. <laughs> like it was that it was that kind of life and then when I left MTV came calling and then um, that's where I entered my current position as a yeah. vice president mm. of brand design when yeah. you were at Nike like is there anything that uh, that you remember that you designed that like a lot of listeners might like be like, okay, I know what that shoe is. 
Um, I think my biggest claim to fame there, and I was in the young athletes category, basically making like dope shoes for like stylish ass kids. Mm. Um, the one claim to fame I had there was the Hey Penny phone posit. So we took this OG ad from, uh, I guess at the time it was like 20, it was like over 20 years old. Um, it was a, it was like a hand scrawling ad that probably Wyden and Kennedy had done. It said, Hey Penny, uh, show me how to play ball. And then you had the little Penny doll. It was, yeah, uh, yeah of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, exactly. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So, um, we took that and I, I, took it from the vault we were pitching ideas to our business partners and uh, I was like yo uh, 20th anniversary phone posit what are we gonna do so I said what if we took the the type from this poster recreated it made an all over print pattern and then uh, turned, wow. put it on the shoe because it, it relates to the DNA yeah. um, and it, it was also um, before a lot of like Nike basketball had really um, folded back in on itself because now it's like Nike basketball like on steroids from the yeah, 90s. Yeah, there's like, yeah, there's yeah. foams dropping like once a month and e all that. Yeah. Exactly. So it, it was right before that because it was still kind of in like that um, like space ninja vibe. So this was so everything still was like super simple. 2011 ish? No, this was, I pitched this idea like 2016, 2015, 2016. Oh, okay, okay. It was like a, a new thing. Right, right, right. Um, before, uh, when there weren't a lot of wild graphics mm. right. on basketball. So uh, I, I I pitched it, and then it went through, and then um, it became uh, Hype Beast Kids. Uh, it was the number one kid's shoe of 2017, according to Hype Beast Kids. It beat mm -hmm. out a Balenciaga, beat out a Yeezy, it beat out um, a Tiny 90, uh, which is another Nike product on that list. Uh, shout out to my boy, uh, Tomah Durant mm. from... Uh, uh, Nike basketball uh, design team. Mm. So that's probably the one that's thing I so did. That's cool. Yeah. Also did uh, Kyrie Irving mac and cheese. Yeah, I remember those. Wow. Yeah. So that mac was... and cheese joints, yeah. Yep. <laughs> I, work, I work for a, a sneaker boutique. Oh, out really? In, out in New York, mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, get out of here. Out in uh, Brooklyn and Queens now. Wow. Yeah, so I was New there York. from 2014. So I, I remember the pennies that you're talking about. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Tell us what's up, man. Cool. Yeah, for sure. So that's the kind of, that was kind of the mm -hmm. joint. So mm -hmm. after that. Yeah. But and you know, from student to teacher, you also, you know, teach and mentor yeah. younger artists and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, do you feel like the immigrant experience has like shaped just the way you view design and and how you interact with other artists and creatives? I yeah, I think the the biggest piece that affects me well of course they're within the the schools in new york right like uh sva parsons yeah. Pratt, that are like i guess the premium schools mm. within the creative space they have a large immigrant population um specifically uh -huh. coming from asia it's like almost 70 percent of that community mm. and you know that they funnel in and you know there's there's an otherness there so there's a very yeah. direct connection there mm -hmm. um for me um i I spent a, a semester teaching at Kane University, mm -hmm. um, it's a state school back in Jersey, um, in Union, mm -hmm. and uh, I great staff there, great kids. The community there is very local, um, dare I say, a little working class. Oh. Um, but I but I don't use that term in a pejorative by any means. No. And uh, I being with those kids who don't necessarily get out to the city all the time. They don't go to like the MoMA mm -hmm. or uh, or they don't have the opportunity rather. Yeah. Um, and, and they don't necessarily get a level of expertise 
by virtue of being, um, you know, a, a, a little bit off to the side yeah. in that world. And just like access to technology in terms of like Photoshop is so expensive or yeah. things like that are too overwhelming for right. most kids. Right. right? And, and then, you know, there's, uh, they, they, for me, being around people like, who, who are experts and then being around it early SVA was like everyone it was like a language that everyone spoke yeah and then it and in a more working class environment it's a language that feels a little bit outside your context mm-hmm. so I wanted to show those kids and they're, and they're you know they're uh, African American they're, uh, they're Latin mm. they're Asian they're from all over the world and also they have less means they yeah. didn't come here through you know mommy and daddy money yeah um, that's really the deeper connection for me mm-hmm. and showing them what's possible because uh because they come from a different environment like I, um and it's it's a beautiful thing because it you know you don't really always, you don't always get feedback like that that mm-hmm. makes you feel that your mission is valid mm-hmm. yeah mm. so you yeah. know you initially thought it was going to be about like um design and career and then it kind of became more holistic of right. like actually my life experience right. on like the thing that you were doing outside of work yeah it really because you, we all know who our heroes are yeah and like we, and you and america and especially within the creative industry uh there are these institutions and it's not even just academic uh-huh. there are you know um you talk about something like um like even the directors guild of america the writers guild um the academy mm-hmm. um you know um like there are these institutions that that are created in order to make versions of themselves in perpetuity throughout time. Yeah. And those versions of themselves do not account for the other and like a hard left turn. Mm -hmm. So it's up to us to make the hard left turn because the institutions aren't prepared for that. No, it's so true. Like it's kind of like a self-perpetuating cycle of like resumes. You know, you tend to like people who reflect you and your experience and like maybe for you you'd be more willing to take a chance on a kid who didn't go to like the the top design schools because you're just like hey you know this kid didn't have the means to have art classes since you right. know, third grade or something but this but he's dope yeah. or you see promise exactly yeah. yeah and even if he or she is not that dope uh, I feel like we're more inclined to give opportunities to people. You see that the potential. Look right. Like us, we probably have similar experiences. Absolutely, as yeah. Us. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I see that. I see that change happening because when I was in music media, music journalism, like uh, there was like a handful of us, and then the generation before me, there was probably less than a handful of them. Right. And now, when I have like friends that work in you know hip hop journalism or media, like you know my boy uh shout out to my boy mikey fresh a genius like he's like yeah like there's this new girl who's a writer for this there's a new dude who's a writer for this like right. and i was like yo like that's kind of wild because when we were running together it was like you and i and maybe mm-hmm. two more people you know right yeah. so i already see that like the 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 movements that we're making impacting the culture right yeah. you know I, so yeah. yeah, so I, I'm sure like you're gonna see more and more people working in creative and design. Absolutely, and you know, so that's 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 a that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Can, can I ask a question? Like, what what do you guys think about the current uh, state of of Asian Americans within the media space? Like, a, you know, crazy rich Asians, of course. Yeah. Or even like you know someone like a or a group like Eighty Eight Rising, like they're doing like yeah. really beautiful things. Are are we c- creating? 
a, a market for ourselves or is this a moment where it, you know we are are we creating like the bigger trojan horse so the trojan horse can just spill out so all the soldiers yeah you well, know i think you mentioned the whole kind of like the institutions like the kind of like the old prestige right. part and i think crazy rich asian is kind of a more representation of that in that it kind of finally penetrated that circle of just right. like asian americans are lucrative hollywood right. you know and i think things like maybe, we got a rom-com exactly yeah but then you th- have things like um 88 rising or you know gold thread right. or um you know more even things like this like these podcasts that has come up because technology has made it an equalizer of just like you know if you have a good vision and you have um the means you can kind of penetrate the space um and i think 88 rising i think in terms of asian americans they have such great reputation but will they in terms of making it into the mainstream yeah i don't know and i think those are kind of two different things and it's so weird because I feel like I'm in both worlds and that like I work at CNN and I've worked even Viacom too where we're kind of in that institution like linear TV communications world and Asian Americans are few and far in between and there's this other life that we have where we have you know things like these podcasts or we have you know we're part of the Facebook groups like you know ACN shout out to ACN or AATM and uh, so many acronyms yo. Yeah. it's like a bunch of games yeah. Right? Yeah, I know it always starts with an A um, I know exactly yeah holy and, shit and you know and being in New York too but we forget that outside of this bubble it's not as there needs to be but more children like, horsing I feel like it's dope that we even have a bubble cause mm-hmm. uh, you know I, I made this doc called Bad Rap and when we first started that oh shout that, out to Bad Rap yeah, yeah. conversations yeah. about Asian American rappers was like far so far in between like right. it was very minuscule mm-hmm. this was back in 2014 when we first had our Indiegogo campaign and like 2015 this rapper Keith Ape happened and then 2016 this rapper Rich Sugar happened uh, and then 2017, like Aquafina, like fucking blew yeah, the fuck up. Yeah, right. totally. So like, you know, like w- even within the last five years, so much has changed. Like, ADA Rising got a New Yorker article in New York, uh, uh, like and last that's year. When, that is mainstream. I will. And yeah. then it's yeah. like, so so much has happened, and you know, I could argue like. I don't bang with Rich Sugar, or I don't mm-hmm. bang with ADA Rising, or I think Funk Bros is kind of corny. Like, right. I could say all this shit. But at the end of the day, like, I, I appreciate and support everything because right. it's kind of like in black media, right? Like, there was Vibe, there was Source, there was uh, Ebony, there was right. all these different publications. And I'm sure not everybody loved each other. Right. I'm sure some people were saying, like, sure. yo, nah, your shit is whack. Mm-hmm. Like, nah, you a fucking Uncle Tom. Like, you know, like, people were probably arguing, but at the end, having diversity allowed many different voices to be heard and as a whole like it was able to create an industry yeah you know so yeah. right. I, I, I appreciate everything and I think you know I, I wouldn't say it's a Trojan horse per se I think it's more so like it's like uh, uh, it's like making babies man you know what I mean it's, <laughs> like, it's like yo it's like yo you, you pop out you pop out four, you know, your kids marry my kids, you know, like it's a Wu-Tang family, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. It's like, yeah, you got to like spread the seed yeah. more and more. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, the seed. I had um, this funny story. Uh, I was a 
intern at a music production house uh, called JSM. It was right by Union Square, actually right by here. Oh. Um, and uh, one one of the uh, one of the producers there was from uh, Laos, um, and he he's been a music producer for a minute I remember uh, a couple of the producers there were in the hip hop culture uh, within the, oh, within the 90s um, context like one of them had produced uh, Soul to Soul wow. and then uh, that was like his big <laughs> um, but then oh, man, hey, Soul to Soul is, is a pretty uh, yeah, oh no it's, it's legit mm-hmm. oh, I'll still go to LPR and listen to that shit I'm still a fat boo to listen to Soul to Soul oh, hey. mm. uh, so uh, homie's name who I forget and I apologize for that but he was telling me that he had produced um, a couple of Wu-Tang albums and then he would tell me that Wu-Tang there was back in the day they wouldn't allow um, any white people in the studio oh. and then they'd let him in because he was close enough <laughs> that, oh. yeah close enough uh-huh. to being black uh-huh. just by virtue of not being white yeah 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 and then uh, that was his that and was his whole thing is what Asian Filipino oh he was uh, from Laos Laos oh, okay Laos. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yes yeah. so, and he had long hair and just like you know like a darker uh, skin tone and he was like he was dope he was mm-hmm. so cool Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. He had the ill tan. Nice. Um, but I think that's really cool. And it is, we have come really far, but I have some anecdotes where maybe it'll resonate with you. But in term, and this actually specifically relates to the immigrant experience of how I run into problems with uh, creatively. Um, most of the senior leadership at the places that I've worked at are white or they're, you know, non immigrants. They don't really understand. Um, that story. Right. So, for example, I was pitching a lot of stories for Asian Pacific Heritage Month. And one of the stories that I was pitching was about this amazing woman named Mei Lam, mm. who is kind of this new generation, new blood of Chinatown. Mm. Chinatown is being gentrified rapidly across the country. Mm. It's on the brink of extinction. Right. And, you know, she had this triumphant story of like she's a fifth generation owner and she deferred her acceptance to Columbia, which is like every immigrant parent's dream of like sending a kid to an Ivy because she wanted to save her store that's been around her family for a hundred years. This? this is called Wing on Woe. Awesome. It's, it's the pottery store? Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the I, oldest I, I store. Over there. Yeah, it's the yeah, oldest store yeah. in New York City, Chinatown. And I pitched the story of how like she's such a great representation of like this Asian American generation for Asian American heritage with. And yeah. one feedback that they had was like, well, it's not so surprising that she's taking over a family business. And for me, it was such a moment of like, oh, because it is a surprise for immigrants of like, how, why would you defer an opportunity to get out of that? You know, to go to an Ivy League school and have a white collar job and like kind of give back to your parents who've like, you know, done one type of work. Yeah. Um, it is so surprising to me that she came back to her family business when a lot of immigrant families like, we're going to do this work. You do something much greater, more prestigious. Yeah. And like, we're in this right now so you can be better. And it was something that I had such a hard time getting them to understand that this yeah. is a surprising story. And well, I, what would have been her track had she gone to Columbia? No. So she d- basically deferred her acceptance yeah. to um, save the store. And now she's still at the store. Yeah. And um, she's created this Wing on Woe project where it's an in- initiative to help like fourth generation, fifth generation Chinese Americans who are going through the same things where gentrification is threatening the legacy of their parents' um, businesses and helping them kind of renew, revitalize the business. Like for example, getting it an Instagram account 
Wow. You know, um, working with local artists in New York and doing art shows at her store, bringing young people in, not just people who are nostalgic for this type of products or something. And she was even talking about how, like, you know, and even Asian American kids who come back to open up stores, open up like ice cream shops or, you know, Instagrammable coffee shops that don't really have ties to this area, to this legacy. Yeah. Right. Um, but it's just one of those like fights that I have to do because. Um, the majority around me don't have that framework, sure. don't have that experience, and just it's like a it's like a bigger leap for them to, right. to take yeah. because the initial context is foreign. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, did you ever face any of that during any of your like boardroom meetings or anything? Mm-hmm. Oh well, I mean that that's such a specific nuance. It's mm-hmm. it's actually a really amazing thing to hear for for me my the things that I usually run up against that are somewhat similar to Uh that might be um actual representation of people of color in a way that's respectful to a culture yeah and And not tokenizing exactly not tokenizing or how do we validate uh, a specific visual um so that we can understand that it's um you know there's meaning there um when when someone else might think that it's um "Quote unquote low brow, mm. or or um, you know just not good. I, I remember um, I, I was out in 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 China, um, in Shanghai, uh, judging um, judging some stuff uh, with uh, with the one club and the one show. And uh, we, uh, oh, excuse me, we were in the Dominican Republic looking at work from China for the one show. Oh, okay. So let me let me clarify. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so uh, I'm there with judges, and it's an international group. And uh, we're looking at posters, we're looking at packaging, we're looking at like other stuff. And then there's a, a couple judges from New York, a couple judges from um, South America, a couple judges from from Europe as well that are all like you know really amazing in their field, and. Uh, and the way that design competitions work is that you'll look at a lot of stuff from New York just by virtue of that, right? Because, you know, it's New York. You look at uh, a lot of um, Asian work, specifically Japan and also uh, China, because there's a lot of media and marketing that's mm-hmm. out there um, that uh, uh, that and they are aware of the New York market. So they compete within New York competitions Mm -hmm. and then you look at stuff from South America and and Europe of course right there's some markets that are just there's a little bit more of a blind side to Um, so we were judging a lot of the work from Asia and you know my POV is of a Westerner Mm. so I don't always look yeah uh, because that's the the world which I grew up in from a creative perspective. Yeah. Um, so I, I I was looking at a lot of work specifically from, from China and also uh, in Japan. And then we were thinking, wow, the AA, the, the vibes are very different, right? Because the energies are converging. I think J- Japan, Japan uh, design, that sensibility um, has a bit more of a, it's gone through a bit of like a, like, you know, a East, West, East, West, you know, cycle, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think uh, China has um it speaks to its demo because uh and it doesn't necessarily care not that it needs to it doesn't really care about like what uh westerners think which i think is dope Mm. but uh i remember we were we were in heated debate about what was effective communication and also whether we were even um equipped to judge judge the work because what what we might view as effective communication through a a 
uh, a Western lens um, that may be completely different from what's effective there. You know, and if and what's your what's your KPI? What's your metric of success? Is it getting butts in seats? Mm. Is it is it you know getting an emotional response or is it? Um, something that's like you know, meant to be driven by art and beauty so it's more of a portfolio piece like all those elements shift based on you know what the cultural context is so you know like for for me I'm, I'm always more in a debate and questioning and like how do we how do we get into a world of you know providing validity and also making sure we're not fucking up yeah that's yeah. like a whole new level of self-awareness. Yeah. I feel like most people don't check themselves and kind of just stay in their worldview. So yeah, that's pretty crazy. absolutely. And, and, you know, I try to be receptive and I'm just like, tell me what's right. Yeah. Tell, tell me what's correct. You know, because I don't want to presume anything, especially in 2019. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to presume anything's right. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be open and receptive to my my blind sides and my walls being just broken down and like you know twisted up. I think that's also what keeps me young. That and the placenta juice in the morning. <laughs> Shout out to the placenta. Uh, yeah, yeah, nah, I t- t- yeah, like because for the for pretty much all of our lives, like and every major institution that makes certain type of um that validates products that right. validates culture and content has most often been from the lens of white people. Right. You know, whether it's the Academy Awards that rates the best films, where it's supposedly the best films, the best music from Grammys to, I guess, even design competitions for the most part, right? So, uh, yeah, like, I feel like that's a very, very interesting thing to be aware of that, like, who the fuck are we from our perspective to judge something that, and put the stamp of approval saying that this Mm -hmm. shit is... The best of the best, yeah. right? Because because awards it's, it's are kind of bullshit very anyway. Subjective, yeah. you know. So <laughs> one thing that I, one thing that was dope when I recently went to China was um, <clears throat> I went to the city called Chengdu, and uh, I met this uh, black British of Jamaican descent producer from London living in Chengdu, China. Wow, making beats for local rappers and local musicians. So he won like a Chinese music awards, right? And then like, he was telling me like, yo, one thing that's so dope about China is that they don't give a fuck about what America thinks about them. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. So they're like, you know, I think initially some Chinese, you know, investors were like, oh, like how can we get to the Grammys? And then, you know, Americans were like, well, your music has to be in Billboard, yada, 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 yada. I was like, oh, okay, fuck it. Let's just make our own music awards. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you yeah. know, instead yeah. of like, we got the money to do it. Let's yeah. just do it. Like, we need validation from them. Let's just do our own music awards. And then apparently the rating for the, uh, the Chinese music awards is like a hundred million people tuning wow. in. Get out. And America's, population is what 300 million mm. yeah and but china has 1.6 billion people so it's like right. 100 million is like yeah it's a lot of people it's a, but to them it's not yeah. like oh it's a blowout but it's yeah. like yeah it's 100 million people it's still a fucking lot of people you know yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like korea's population is 50 50 mm-hmm. million so that's yeah. two careers <laughs> like, <laughs> tuning in to watch this fucking musical exactly. awards program yeah so like he was saying like so you tell me man like what's more valid Mm. Yeah, you know, like yeah. if you're just talking about sheer numbers, right? Because your know, Grammy ratings are fucking right. horrible. What's like, up with the hip hop uh, situation in China? Like the the illegalization of hip hop over oh, there. Yeah. I, th- I think it's 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 very complex, but 
Like like um, Rapper China. Like I remember when I was out in Shanghai, yeah. these kids were like, Yo, Rich, you gotta you gotta watch Rapper China. They're just showing me all these videos uh-huh. of it. Right, right. And I was like, it was blowing my mind. And Which, I also, they took that concept from a Korean show called Show Me the Money. Interesting. Oh, so show oh, me that's the money. Their version. No, so basically CJ was like CJ is the Entertainment parent company that's uh, funded or started Show Me the Money. So they were supposed to go into business together. So CJ, so Show Me the Money was supposed to be uh, what do you call those? Like, you know, like how Voice has like a different version in every country. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like Show Me the Money. Now. Yeah, it was supposed to be franchised to create a Chinese version. But then a political issue happened where like US was like, Yo, we're gonna like create these missiles facing towards China. Thad, T-H-A-A-D. So when that political issue happened, China was like, okay, we're going to ban everything Korean in China. And so the producers of Show Me The Money were like, oh, I thought we were going to make mad money producing Mm. this show in China. (laughs) And then like like, the the Chinese counterpart was like, well, y'all already like schooled us on the concept. So we're just going to still run with this shit. Mm. We're just going to do it. What the fuck you going to do? Like, you're going to sue me? Like, I'm Chinese. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So basically they started Rap of China and then, you know, it got fucking blown out of proportion like you know cause you gotta understand like in Korea like if a rapper goes on show me the money is he automatic you know upper middle class success you yeah, know yeah like a B list celebrity yeah, yeah, yeah like mm-hmm. a B or a B plus list mm. but like in China you just fucking like I told you just a hundred million people just fucking watch the yeah. musical yeah. world show imagine the type of impact automatic like, party B automatic yeah. you're good you know yeah. Yeah. so but you know with everything the thing with China is that government is a one party system so sure. if one official feels like oh yo this rapper just referenced weed yo yeah. this rapper just uh, allegedly like date raped a, uh, like a like a girl at a club you know okay rap is bad you know what I mean and then right. it just puts automatic ban on the entire culture so but what does that mean in terms of like by, the, by the policing ban, of it like it's not like yo like if you're a rapper I'm gonna arrest you is that the term rap, apparently, I mean, don't quote me on this because I'm not Chinese and I, I don't know the scene that well, but sure, you know, the term rap. None of us here are Chinese scientists. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The term rap, apparently, it's like, it's not like a term that you could put on music, but if you say that it's a spoken word, it's okay. Mm, you know, so there's like different loopholes that loopholes, you could go around yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, so wow. like people that are performing rap is not considered rappers they're like poetry artists (laughs) they're just on their guru jazzmatazz there happens to be background music yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) so they're basically described as that yeah so and they may or may not have tims on yeah yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) possibly some adidas tracksuits you know but well yeah i feel like both of you guys are really and you know, we were very in tune with like all their cultural sensitivities. Maybe mm. having a, a bicultural upbringing maybe contributes to the curiosity and just like always learning, even like questioning your worldview just because yeah. like you've had to jump around worlds in the past. But, yeah. you know, you've kind of told us that it has helped you stay young and, yeah. and stay fresh. But And we wanted to, before we wrap everything up, ask you where are you going in terms of your career um kind of what's next for you how do you see yourself with your podcast and your career as well sure well at least from the practical standpoint of of uh, my career i'm always just trying to do a thing that's different from the last thing yeah so 
even you know wanting to go to Nike was about you know I've been a sneakerhead my whole life. I was mm-hmm. even when I was working at uh, Borders Bookstore, <laughs> I would still buy a pair a week like mm. an idiot. I'm like where do I where, where do I even get off? It's like yeah, you know? like that shit could have gone into Your Nike collection. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so. Um, and before that, I was in in advertising. I spent two years, even you know, working on uh, Broadway, doing Broadway advertising at AKA, just wow. to make you know Broadway posters. Mm. Shout out to uh, Matilda, Rock of Ages, and all those guys. <laughs> so uh, you know, n- now even at MTV, it's about wanting to work in media and and getting and understanding how that ecosystem works, and also you know kind of um, um, understanding how to scale up something yeah. so um, and also just pushing my crafts so, and it, it it's just maintaining that track um, keeping there and also like scaling up what my my actual offering is mm-hmm. so before I started out as an illustrator but now you know I can work within a branding world within a motion world within within like a campaign world and um, how do I make impact there mm-hmm. um, in terms of the podcast I uh, uh, it's you know it's amazing to be able to sit down here with with you two because you know this is like an elevation of that too so that's truly an honor um, I'm doing some live versions of the podcast Ooh. just just did one recently a purpose yeah. agency mm-hmm. and purpose is a really good a uh, social justice driven uh, advertising agency like right in this area mm-hmm. they're super cool um, trying to do a couple more of those and also going to gear up for season four of the podcast with like a really some great illustrious guests not unlike yourselves Yay. and uh, just going to keep that going maybe just do a short form content piece and mm. you know trying to expand expand and grow yeah. and strive and survive you know what I'm saying yeah. what about you Jakey Yo, you already know what I want, but for the listeners, <laughs> the bread, that, the for the listeners that don't know yet, J Key only focuses on benefiting himself and benefiting, <laughs> nah, nah, on I brand, mean, benefiting um everybody around me. But you know, like basically, like I, I I still believe in um, I believe in like financial independence. Like that's kind of like something that I always um valued. Uh, I think during my twenties. Now that I just you know just freshly turned 30 uh i think that kind of is that has become more of a focus for me as as of late because uh you know it's it's a it's a it's something that takes a lot of preparation and is a long-term investment you know um yeah, so I, I think that's kind of one of the main things i I'm, i know i'm talking very vague right now mm-hmm. but uh Investment, man. Invest mm-hmm. in yourself. Invest in your brain. Invest in your own pocket. Let money work for itself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because yeah. there's only so much that you could continuously work in for the bread. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like this beautiful footage that is being taken. I gotta let this footage work for itself. You know? So yeah. <laughs> um, no, that's beautiful, Jakey. Um, <laughs> you don't understand what I was saying, yo. Stop I, know, throwing adjectives I usually out zone there. out when you're talking. Mm-hmm. And no. Um, but you're also getting back into producing, right? Producing. You're helping Sandy. Yeah. Or... What's, what's the next project? Yeah. Next project. Next project. Um, I'm, I'm you know, you I have just a hopped bunch, on. But yeah, yeah. Talk I about mean, imposters. my main focus right now is. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, are you guys. Oh, sorry. I'm just going to dip back in. Yeah. Like, are you always, like, with, like, hands in a shit ton of stuff? Like, constantly. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I am. So. I am. Yeah. I'm kind of. I. I 
I don't think I have ADD, but I probably do. Um, maybe I do, maybe I don't. Right. I, I, th- I think ADD is some shit the government made up, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just okay. sell conspiracy. Okay. Just sell Adderall, man. Mm. Um, nah, I always had multiple projects. So, so the thing with me is like, if I want to do something, I just do it. Yep. And then if it fails, it failed. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, like, but if it does well... Like it's like me throwing darts, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, yeah, one yeah. of them is gonna hit one the bullseye. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Like, but if I have an idea, like I pursue it, and yeah. then um, luckily some have turned out well. Like six ninety nine per pound. Absolutely, like, yeah. Alumni, which we opened in Flushing Queens, is it's about to be a year. Yeah. Wow. Um, more like bad rap. Like those projects turned out well for me. And some didn't do as well, but you know, like at least I tried. So are you I the type of person? From it. Are you the type of person where you always have like a few things, like like your levels are always like here, mm. and then mm. when when one of them is like popping off, it's like yeah. Then all of a sudden, like it yeah. just like yeah yeah. Like, that, all of a sudden, base way up on that one. All of a sudden, yeah. you get yeah. DMs from like girls that you was talking to like ten years ago. It's like yeah, I just saw you in the newspaper. <laughs> I just saw you on the news, and I'm like yeah, ma, what's up? What's up with you? You have two kids now. <laughs> all right, keep doing oh your thing. God. Uh, not petty out. at all. Not petty <laughs> at all. Yeah. Like, no. God bless you. <laughs> no, one of our previous guests, Chelsea White, who mm-hmm. you, uh, uh, she also worked at MTV as well, produced Broco. A lot Broco. of mutuals. Yes. Mutual connections. Lots of mutuals. She famously said on their podcast, like, sometimes I wish I was a financial analyst <laughs> because she can go to sleep at night knowing that all the work was done. Right. Versus, you know, people like her and Jiki and like, you know, all of us where we have a lot of things going on, a lot of dreams and th- the work is never finished yep. um, that is something I can definitely relate to um, in terms of like what's next for me I think right now I'm at like a weird point in my my day job of because I really invested a lot of time into 699 per pound because I felt like it pushed my purpose much right. so in terms of you know what work is work it's I can't in terms of advancing the the passions that I have and the things I believe in, um, I might have to have another outlet for that because work is going to be, you know, objective KPIs, like delivering things on time, being accurate, um, pleasing the client. And maybe some of the leadership don't look like me. They don't care about the stories that I care about, but it's sharpening my skills. And at this time of my life, this is what's good for me. And my podcast and my um, community work has been something that filled that void. So compartmentalizing in order for me to feel like I'm still moving. Right. Because I'm kind of different from JK in that, like, I do have, I'm very risk averse. Wildly first. different. <laughs> Wildly different. I can't tell. At I know, all. right? It's like, aside from the hair, there's not really much else. But, um, I think when growing up in my immigrant experience, it made me very risk adverse of just like, I'm not, I don't want to take any risks. Like I don't want to make any mistakes. Um, So very different from how you grew up and how you took away from your experience. But in terms of where I see myself, I, I am kind of at this crossroads of just like, how much can I integrate my passion into my work and how much do I owe it to myself? to do that because I am I'm not trying to you know climb this corporate ladder for nothing I'm trying to get to you know a rich two level oh and have a seat at the table <laughs> and be like that was fucked up and have people actually listen where it's oh, like nah, sure. nah 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 you're like the bottom like we don't sure, care what sure. you say so you no, know? yeah I still feel that way too mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah but do you feel a little bit more empowered to like be more like th- actually like this is how it is and right. correct people or maybe teach people I, I, I do like, and I'll be honest like you know we all know that um 
it's a highly political structure. Mm-hmm. And then there are, there, are, there are times when you have to protect yourself. You have to protect others. Sometimes you're in the foxhole. And then yep. uh, if you're in the foxhole, you might see your boy uh, get their head shot off, like straight up, mm, yeah. uh, you mm-hmm. know, Saving Private Ryan style. It's just mm-hmm. that it, uh, it's an environment. Get completely iced. Exactly. E- exactly. And, you know, that's across the spectrum. It's not just, you know, one place, mm. right? Um, but uh, for me, I, I take the moments where I am empowered. I I take that empowerment and I, you know, let my voice be heard. So mm-hmm. if I if I see something's wrong, it's like a see something, say something mentality. Yeah, I let people know, mm-hmm. and then um, and then you know just to deal with the with the consequences. Yeah, yeah, well, that's great. Mm. Well, so on that note, uh, I like to ask two questions. Sure. Uh, so the first question is. It's something that we ask all our guests. Uh, what is like the most important or significant relationship that you've had in your life? Damn, that's not an easy one. I probably say, oh, well, actually, you know what? That is an easy one. It's it's with my with my fiance, mm-hmm. Ale- Alexandra Beener, and uh, also Korean. Uh, oh. And like uh, Filipino Korean doesn't always happen. Oh my god! Yeah, no, it yeah. actually doesn't. No, yeah, it's rare. It actually does. It's very that's rare. Insane. I yeah. want to eat at that yeah. household. That food's gonna be bomb. That's a lot of pork. A lot of pork. A lot of pork. Exactly. Exactly. It's very difficult for Muslims. <laughs> it's, it's true. I'm trying to. I'm trying to get her on the hollow hollow tip. She's not on it. Oh, she doesn't bang with hollow hollow. No, she doesn't. Wait, what? what the fuck? Really? I know. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell her? Can you tell How her? How does that <laughs> Let's text her right now. <laughs> I know. Exactly. She's essentially like popping the wood ube. Yeah. The fuck? Okay. All right. Anyways. Um, Aside from that, she's amazing. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, she's she's added so much to my life in terms of you know just obviously the ability to to bounce my energy off another human being in a more dedicated fashion, and um, and also just open up my eyes, of course, to other cultures outside of uh, outside of myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, and also, she's a beautiful human being, and um, you know, she's she's within the creative world as well. She's a she's a producer, so my creative mindset, my creative insanity, she is like you know kind of a counter of each other. Yeah, yeah. a counter lever to that. It's like somebody that you know you could talk. Before you go to sleep and just bounce ideas off each other, right? Mm. Exactly. That, that, yeah, yeah. Or fight yeah. for the remote control. One, one of those well, two. Yeah, one, yeah. one or the other. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'll tell TV? you that no. though. Like yeah. that dinner must be fucking banging. Like sizzling sisig mm-hmm. with kimchi with garlic, <laughs> oh, right, garlic rice. I've had, I already laid that out for oh you. Oh my gosh. You know what I mean? No, I had a kim- kimchi fried rice with the the pso- Yes, it's so. Sisig is like it's like, like a heavenly. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's like it's like fucking. It's grilling. Jake, he's excited. It's yep. pork. Yep. Everything, man. It's just mix that shit with rice. We should all just go to Jeepney yo, right you know now. I mean? uh, oh and my just, like, god! After, woo. Love oh you. my gosh. Um, yeah. And the other question that we have is, what's your personal mantra? Oh, my personal. Well, my personal mantra in the morning. I wake up. 5.30 or 6 in the morning and I, I'll do something creative for about 30 to an hour if po- at all possible and then um, I'll go to the gym and then I'll go to the office. Mm. So when I go to the office I'll have accomplished goals first thing as well as like hit my personal metrics of success mm. and then um, also you know because I'm, I'm running out in the world I'm like literally dodging traffic before I have to dodge the traffic at work mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying survival yeah survival oh you live in Manhattan uh, I live in uh, Bushwick oh okay, okay. yeah okay, like gotcha. right by uh, Graham Avenue shout out hey right, right, right. Um, so I'll I'll chant to myself I'm gonna win I'm gonna win. Yeah, I'm gonna win. And I've been doing that since I was, 
you know, going to night school at SVA, I remember I was I would just be on the I'd be on the path train from Jersey. It was like I'm gonna win. I'm gonna mm-hmm. win. I mean, yo, to, to add on to the old school rap reference that you mentioned about guru, like yeah. words manifest. Yeah. You know, that's a that's a gangstar reference that was that don't know. You know like <laughs> they, words they don't manifest. know, now they know. Now, yeah. they, now you do, man. Speak it uh, into existence. Words manifest, man. Exactly. Like, yeah. I, I believe in that wholeheartedly. Every night before I go to sleep, I tell myself, yo, I'm the best. Yeah. I tell myself, I repeat that. Like, I'm the best. That like, I'm the best. Like, I just tell myself that. You know what I mean? It's ridiculous. And, you know, people could say, like, yo, DJ Khaled, you're ridiculous. Right. But it's like, but he yo, manifests. Yeah, he manifested. He manifests? Yeah. No, but that's truth. I think I, personal truth is the biggest thing right now. And if your mm-hmm. personal yeah. truth, as long as your personal truth doesn't like fuck up someone else's personal truth, then that's what's up. No, right. for sure. Right. Yeah. All right. So on that note, um, I'm, we're going to wrap our portion up. Do you want to wrap? Because since we kicked it off, do you want to wrap it up first? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, uh, so far, listeners, uh, on First Gen Burden, um, oh, well, I usually do this like after the fact. I usually don't do this part with people here. But, oh, yeah. But, yeah. On the, the pressure. Yeah, like a lot of pressure now. Shit, I usually do retakes and shit. If you see if you see my garage band file, it's just like a bunch of slivers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Slice, <laughs> yeah. slice, slice. Totally. Um, no, but if um, for anyone that wants to listen to uh, First Gen Burden, um, just go to firstgengenburden.com. That has the full archive of all the episodes. Also, we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Anchor FM, and also Spotify. So you can find us there on Instagram. You want to follow us at uh, First Gen Burden at First Gen Burden um, on IG. We have a Twitter too. Don't really use it just <laughs> for mental bandwidth. Um, and for me, uh, Rich too. If you want to follow me, it's just Rich underscore Tu on Instagram. If you want to check out some cool art shit, just RichTu.com. If you want to watch TV, go towards MTV, MTV if one feels so inclined. <laughs> wow, nice. I like the last one. Yes. Yeah, he's like, if you want to just watch on TV, go to MTV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. But yeah, this has been another episode of Six Ninety Nine Per Pound Podcast. But this time it was a special collaboration episode with First Gen Burden. With yours truly, Jakey, co-host Jojo, and of course the illustrious guest Rich Two. Thank you. Uh, yo, that's kind of a dope name, yo, Rich Two. Yeah, Rich Two, no, yeah, for sure. Yeah, 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 Rich Do you want to plug your Insta handles and for all the first gen listeners out there? I mean, there, yo, listen, man, you just gotta you? Google Jakey, J A E K I C H O, and I'm the first thing that pops up. Yeah. You know that, like, you can't miss them. Yeah, man, if you try to name your children to have good SEO results, make sure it's not a Keep Michael. Keep the original name. Make sure. <laughs> Not dying a right Michael now. Ward David, you know what I mean? That's that's a gem right there. Make sure, make yeah. sure, come up with like a wild different name, you know what I mean? If you're trying to get that SEO result, and I'm sure your kid would appreciate that. Yeah. Well, my my Joanne Park is not quite SEO friendly, but then my Insta handles Jojo Parke, J O J O P A R Q U E. I thought I was really smart by doing that. Um, and of course, follow us on six ninety nine per pound on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. That's kind six. of like our Nine, nine yes. per pound. Per pound. You know what per, I mean? per, per, per. And not just sixty nine, because some interesting results will pop up. <laughs> that's an SEO right there. Yeah, Maybe that's just a podcast. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. All right. So on that note, thank you guys for listening. Um, Rich, uh, your podcast is on like Apple, Spotify, and all those different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah he plugged it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, everywhere. Yeah. yeah. So we all over there, man. We everywhere. Yeah. So just tune in. That's all you gotta do. All right. Peace. Peace. Hey yo, it's six ninety nine per pound. Podcast. Meow. So that was a lot of fun. 
I want to thank Jakey and Joanne for having me, the rest of the $6.99 per pound crew. Julia, Michael, Marcus, Sophia, it was a great time. I got a massive plug at the end, so I'm not going to run through that again. Thanks to the Desjin team for their support and Ben Sounds on music. Thank you for checking out the precursor or preseason opener to season four of First Gen Burden. Come back again next week because we'll be dropping every Monday. Talk to you soon. Be safe, everyone. Bye.